It's October 25th. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the latest out of the Middle East with updates on the billionaires who run Hamas, plus captured terrorists admitting that what they did to the Israelis was un-Islamic. Second, an update for you about our mystery at sea, the Baltic Sea, with those snapped cables and pipelines. Well, we know who did it, and I'll tell you the surprising culprit in just a bit. Third, we are off to Antarctica this morning with a connection to your Thanksgiving dinner. Yeah, that surprising link coming to you shortly. Fourth, a key U.S. military base in the African country of Niger is all but shutting down. And that will hamper our fight against radical Islam globally. I'll explain exactly what's going on in less than 20 minutes from now. Later, we wrap up the podcast today with a personal reflection. It's about a new shot to fight obesity, but for six-year-olds. I'll tell you about that news and why that story resonated with me so deeply in just a bit. But first, let's get to our top stories of the morning. Three updates for you on the latest out of the Middle East. We start with conditions inside the Gaza Strip this morning with multiple press outlets from both the region and globally saying that there are profound and growing shortages of food, medicines, and fuel. Unfortunately, though, that is to be expected, all because, as listeners know, Israel announced a total siege of the Gaza Strip shortly after the terror attacks back on October 7th. That said, there have been some aid trucks delivering goods inside uh, the Gaza Strip. At least 54 trucks so far have gotten in with both Israel and Egypt's agreement and consent. Those trucks have carried things like food, medicine, and water, but no fuel. And that is because Israel claims that Hamas will use that fuel for their terror operations, which do continue as of this morning. For what it's worth, the White House is agreeing with Israel, saying that, yes, Hamas will likely use that extra fuel for its terror. But there is another fuel option, according to an Israeli military spokesman, quote, if necessary, Hamas can return the fuel that it stole from the United Nations and give it to the hospitals, end quote. Well, what that spokesman is referring to is a tweet from last week from the United Nations. They tweeted out that, yes, in fact, Hamas did steal both fuel and medical supplies that were supposed to go to the Palestinian civilians. Interestingly, though, the U.N. erased that tweet only a couple of hours later after they posted it. But sources within that global body later uh, confirmed that, yes, Hamas stole fuel. Apparently, the, uh, the U.N. didn't want the world to know. Meanwhile, the Israeli military is also alleging this morning that Hamas actually has hundreds of thousands of gallons of fuel saved up in a fuel depot inside the Gaza Strip. Indeed, they provided satellite pictures along with that allegation of the same. Is it true? Unclear this morning. We're awaiting comment from Hamas or the White House or others to verify those claims. Nothing yet. I'll keep you posted. In our second update of the morning out of Gaza, another country has added its assessment that that Palestinian hospital that was bombed last week, or at least its parking lot, was bombed. Well, in fact, it was hit by an errant rocket that was fired either by Hamas or Islamic Jihad, not Israel. So here's the latest on that. The government of Italy 
now joins France, Britain, Canada, and the U.S. as confirming that it was a Gaza-based terror group that hit its own hospital. Meanwhile, independent analysis by the Associated Press and CNN, amongst others, have determined the same. By the way, the Italians also dispute the number of people who died in that hospital blast. The Gaza Health Ministry, which is run by Hamas, still claims that about 500 people died in the blast. Italian uh, intelligence suggests that that number is somewhere around 50, which is in line with other estimates from other Western governments. But that aside, that is not stopping some people from still claiming that Israel is responsible and that indeed Hamas is right with those claims of 500 people dead. For instance, Michigan's socialist representative Rashida Tlaib, she continues to claim that Israel's military is responsible for that hospital blast and is demanding an international investigation. But unfortunately for Ms. Tlaib, she is losing support from, well, even those who are sympathetic to either the Palestinian or Hamas cause. To that end, fellow socialist representative Ms. Elon Omar of Minnesota, she admitted last week that the hospital attack was not the responsibility of Israel, but rather of Hamas. And speaking of Hamas, their captured terrorists this morning are telling their stories of butchery to Israeli intelligence officers who in turn are filming these admissions of terror and uh, then releasing the videoed interrogations online. So let's talk about what these terrorists are saying. One Hamas operative confessed that his commanders instructed him and his fellow militants to target elderly women and children as they would make for the best hostages. Another terrorist spoke of how they used smoke to fill up houses or safe rooms in those Israeli villages to force civilians to open up their locked doors where they could then be shot or tortured or mutilated. One Hamas terrorist noted that he was told by his commanders that for every hostage that they would bring back to Gaza, Hamas would give them $10,000 and an apartment. Of course, that would suggest that Hamas has some substantial finances at its disposal, which actually it does. Let's talk about that. Reports range from $300 million to $1 billion in the pockets of Hamas leaders, with the cash mostly coming from Iran and Qatar, but also from smuggling operations in the tunnels that extend from Gaza into Egypt. And to that end, here's something that you might not know. The leaders of Hamas are the ones responsible for and are enriched by these smuggling operations, and it is so lucrative. For example, Hamas leader Khalid Mashal, he is worth $2.6 billion. Another senior Hamas figure named Musa Abu Marzouk, he is worth 2 to $3 billion himself. By the way, 60% of Palestinians live on less than $2 a day. One final note. During these interrogations, each of the Hamas terrorists was asked what Islam has to say about targeting women and children. And each of them admitted that, in fact, Islam does not permit such a horrific thing. So those are the latest facts and data this morning on the war in Israel and inside the Gaza Strip. Let me offer you my brief analysis and opinion. So, folks, there is a lot of propaganda going on right now in Arab press, Western press, and it's painting Hamas or its sympathizers in a pretty shockingly favorable light, or that somehow the humanitarian crisis in Gaza is solely caused by and ultimately the responsibility of Israel. But what I've shared with you this morning is that the truth, it's a little bit more complicated and a lot more nuanced, right? There is fuel in Gaza this morning. It's just being hoarded by Hamas. So if those hospitals and their generators go dark, and patients and babies in ICUs die, 
look, it's fair to cast some blame at Israel if you'd like, but you would be wise to also point a finger at Hamas. And when it comes to profound poverty at the Gaza Strip, which, my goodness, we've heard a lot about over the past couple of weeks, it is fair to say that that 15-year siege of Gaza that was supported by both Egypt and Israel, okay, well, that siege is to blame, but you would also be wise to point out that billionaires run Hamas. Indeed, they're giving $10,000 bonuses to every Hamas cult member when they slaughter civilians, which, as ever, to be very clear, is a violation of not only international law, but the Islamic faith. So more to come on this horrific war with more underreported or politically incorrect facts and data to be provided as I learn them. With that, we turn to our second report of the morning. From the Middle East, we head out west to Europe, to the Baltic Sea. Let's refresh our memories on why we are headed there this morning. Over the past week, I've shared with you a bit of a global mystery. It started with some broken natural gas pipelines and communication cables that were cut or otherwise damaged on the seafloor of the Baltic Sea. Those were connecting the countries of Estonia to Sweden and Finland. Now, initially, European investigators suspected the Russians, which would be problematic for us, if true, because if it were the Russians who sabotaged that European infrastructure, one of those European countries could call it an attack and then ask for military aid by its NATO partners, which is us. Well, we are learning more about this mystery this morning, that Baltic Sea, and I've got a new prime suspect. Any guesses? Well, if you said... China? You're right. As I briefed you on previously, their ship that is brilliantly called the Nunu Polar Bear, it was in the area when the pipeline and the cables were cut and otherwise damaged, and it appears that that Nunu Polar Bear is the guilty party. The government of Finland announced yesterday that they had recovered an anchor from the Nunu Polar Bear that had been drugged across the seafloor, smashing the pipelines and the cables along with it. Now, eventually, this, this uh, anchor snapped free of its tether to the ship and remained laying on the seafloor until investigators found it. And what they found was not only the anchor, but a 13-foot-wide trench as it was drug across the seafloor, of course, the anchor, pulling up and damaging those European pipelines and cables. We are also learning that Finnish authorities actually approached that Chinese ship just after the cables and the pipes were destroyed. But the new, new polar bear wouldn't stop. So now the question is why? Why did the Chinese vessel drop that anchor and drag it for hundreds of miles? Well, investigators in Finland are saying that they don't know. Could be an accident or could be intentional. Now they're asking Beijing for assistance in this investigation, but so far Beijing's been a little bit tight-lipped. No luck. And so the mystery continues this morning, my friends. It's either a case of Chinese negligence or something more sinister. I'll keep you posted. With that, let's take our first break of the morning. For subscribers listening at rightreport.substack.com, thank you. Meanwhile, for my other loyal listeners, an equal thanks. And enjoy the following messages, remembering that if you don't hear my voice telling you about a product or service, then I do not endorse it. We'll be right back. Folks, if there were ever a product that you should consider, man, this is it. Jace Medical. They provide an emergency supply of prescriptions and antibiotics. And here's why you should consider them. As listeners know, I have spoken about how China and India control most of our prescription drugs, including antibiotics. 
Well, what happens if a war should break out over, say, Taiwan or maybe a pandemic again? Well, we all know what happens. Our supplies of critical products get interrupted, and that is not acceptable if your life depends on it. So that is why I am proud to tell you about JaceMedical.com. And here's how it works. You fill out a simple form at JASEMedical.com. Then you speak with a board-certified physician. And within days, your order arrives at your home for emergency use. And I'll tell you, this is not for casual use, folks. Talk to your normal doctors for sniffles and such. This is for emergency use with potency lasting for years should the worst ever come. So, friends, go to jacemedical.com, enter promo code RIGHT, that is W-R-I-G-H-T, and you will get a discounted order. Again, that is promo code RIGHT at jasemedical.com. Folks, I've mentioned to you that to put this podcast together, I work upwards of 12 hours a day. Now, that doesn't leave me much time to cook. And that is why I have been so grateful for America's number one ready-to-eat meal kit called Factor. These meals come fresh, delivered right to your doorstep, and take two little minutes to eat. Now, if you are skeptical like I am, I was at first thinking, eh, this stuff is going to taste like airline food. But no, sir. No, ma'am. These Factor meal kits are good. And Factor has a wide variety of meals to choose from, folks, covering lunch and dinner and some very good breakfast options, too. Portion sizes, by the way, are appropriate and modest, making them perfect as a nice meal or a hearty snack for hungry guys like me. Bottom line, folks, you know that I take great care when endorsing products, and I sure do with this one. Factor is my go-to option for when I am just too darn busy to cook. That is why you must head to factormeals.com slash right five zero. Use that promo code right five zero and you're going to get 50% off. Again, that is factormeals.com slash W-R-I-G-H-T five zero. And you're going to go and get 50% off, folks. What a deal. Go there and get this stuff today. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning with more international news. Well, we are one month away from Thanksgiving, if you can believe that. And I've got some bad news for the birds involved, both here in the United States and also all the way down in Antarctica. And all because of the bird flu. So here's what we know this morning, starting with the frozen lands near Antarctica. British scientists recently came upon a series of dead birds on the British territory that is called South Georgia, and it is south, all right, a relatively short distance to Antarctica. Well, these Brits took samples of the birds to figure out what killed them, and they discovered the cause was bird flu. Indeed, it is the same virus that led to the tens of millions of chickens and turkeys being slaughtered last year in the United States. And as we all remember, that hit our pocketbooks hard, higher meat and egg prices all around. Well, now the bird flu is back with fears that migrating birds are taking it all the way to Antarctica. And that, at least according to these British scientists, would be an absolute disaster. And that's because the Antarctic birds like penguins and others have never been exposed to it before, just too isolated. And so without immunity, the nightmare scenario is that it is going to kill many thousands to hundreds of thousands of Antarctica's native birds, including the penguin. So that's the fear of the biologists in Antarctica this morning, but they're not alone with their fears. Farmers in the Midwest of the United States, 
Oh dear, they're afraid as well. And that is because the bird flu is coming back to America. Here's that disappointing news. Two weeks ago, in Gerald County, South Dakota, owners of a commercial turkey farm there discovered the very first cases of bird flu this year in the United States. Immediately thereafter, some 47,000 turkeys were euthanized to reduce the chances of regional spread. But since then, two other farms have been hit, with one in Iowa, another one uh, in Utah. Ultimately, it has resulted in 500,000 mostly turkeys being culled. I should note that the seasonal outbreaks of bird flu are fairly normal, but the question each year is the severity of the outbreaks, especially amongst those wild migrating birds who then spread it to domesticated things like chickens and turkeys as they fly over those farms. So that's what I'm going to be looking for as this latest outbreak could yet again affect the supply of things like chicken and turkey and eggs this year. Let's just hope that it's not as bad as last year. And well, prayers up for the penguins too. More to come. Finally, this morning, we head off to Africa, to the country of Niger, for an update on our global fight against radical Islam. To refresh our memories, we first talked about this African country back on August 2nd, just after the military there staged a coup d'etat and took over the country. And that was bad for a few reasons, but namely for you. Your taxpayer dollars, ladies and gentlemen, have paid for a drone base in that country. Over $100 million of your dollars, give or take, uh, built something called Air Base 201 in the city of Agadez. It's home to about a thousand U.S. troops operating something called an MQ-9 Reaper drone as well as manned aircraft. They're all there to hunt down Islamic radicals, mostly in Niger, but also in neighboring countries like Mali, Chad, and Burkina Faso. But after the Nigerian uh, military launched that coup, U.S. operators have been mostly grounded with some operations continuing, but Few to none, certainly in cooperation with the local military. And that takes us to the latest news. The Biden White House has officially declared that the military uprising was not some temporary change of leadership, but rather a full-on military coup d'etat. And according to U.S. law, that new designation means that we are restricted in what we can do in Niger and at that base, certainly in cooperation with that military. In other words, it means things like no more training their special operations officers to take on Islamic radicals, um, no more providing intel to target terrorists, and possibly it means that we might need to relocate that drone base, leaving behind that $100 million investment. Now, a decision on that has yet to be made by either the Pentagon or the Biden White House, but it is on the table. And speaking of leaving things behind, the French, they are also leaving the country of Niger following the coup. 1,500 French special forces operators are getting the boot by the new military government. Some colonial bad blood there. Indeed, half of the French troops have already departed that country. With the remaining half, now they got to be out by the end of December. And from that point on, ladies and gentlemen, Niger will largely be responsible for its own fight against terror. Although they might be getting a little bit of help from a name that you might recall, it's the Wagner Group. Those, of course, are the Russian mercenaries that have been running around Africa for years now, and they're likely to for years to come, even after their former leader, that Yevgeny Prigozhin, he died in that very mysterious plane crash in Russia. And that is because, ladies and gentlemen, Wagner lives. Mr. Prigozhin has been replaced by another younger fellow, Indeed, he's taking control of their African operations. It's a 34-year-old guy named Dmitry Sieri. He's a 
very colorful character. You can read more about him in the transcripts if you'd like. So those are the facts and data this morning coming to us from the deserts of North Central Africa. Let me pivot now to my analysis and opinion on what this all means. So here's the upshot, folks. With Biden's decision, whether you support it or not, we are losing not just our influence in that part of the world, but also the ability to keep track of and neutralize an Islamic terror threat. And from my experience, here's what I know. That threat, it will spread globally if we are not absolutely relentless in fighting it. And I suspect that the terror threat is about to grow exponentially once again, all because the Israelis are going to clear Hamas out from Gaza. And here's the connection. While all of these terror groups around the world have differences, most of them share the goal of creating a global caliphate, which is a, a world that is run by an Islamic religious government. And I'll tell you, for those of us who have been fighting this for a while during that 20-year global war on terror, we, we were making progress. You know, we were killing a lot of their organizers and financiers, their senior leaders and street fighters. But what we have not defeated and what we will never defeat is their ideology. The ideology of Salafi Islam or Deobandi Islam or Wahhabi Islam. Right? That hasn't gone anywhere and it won't. In other words, my friends, there is no finish line to this fight against radical extremism from the Islamic faith. The only policy goal is to keep it at bay, uh, to keep the fires of extremism as dim as possible. And that is why this likely loss of a drone base in Niger is so important. Because it's not just about the, the people in Africa. It's about preventing the spread of Islamic terror and that ideology all around the world to include here at home. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. We'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. It's a personal reflection today offered to you based on a headline that I read in Bloomberg News from just two days ago. And here it is. Ozempic for kids? Drug makers test weight loss shots for six-year-olds. Okay, so for folks unaware, Ozempic is a drug that is normally used to control diabetes but it and drugs like it are being snapped up by more and more Americans to control their obesity. And that might be a smart thing for adults who can, of course, consent and choose to do so. But the issue is that we are now considering to put this stuff inside the body of kids as a solution for their obesity. Now, to be clear, childhood obesity is a very serious and very terrible problem. Around 20% of America's kids age six and up are obese, at least according to the U.S. Centers for Disease Control. And that, by the way, that percentage is one of the highest rates in the world. But rather than think that a shot is going to be the solution, instead we should be asking, why is it that a six-year-old person uh, is obese in the first place? Why is that little kid obese? Because being obese at six is not normal. Well, the painful answer to that, I think, ladies and gentlemen, is that in most cases, it's a sign of parental neglect or even abuse. Or if I could offer that more gently, we've got a problem in the American family. And that is something that we've talked about on this podcast many times when we've discussed other issues, like that increase in crime in this country that we dug into back on October 6th. And I'd actually like to go back to that episode and remind us of something that I said. 
According to data from federal uh, U.S. federal authorities, about 45% of America's black kids live only with their mothers, no father. Meanwhile, for Hispanic kids, 24% of them only have their moms. The same is true of uh, 16% of white kids. And this matters, especially and including when kids make choices about whether or not to engage in things like crime. Yes, I shared that two weeks ago, but I suspect that this is also true and is at play with obesity. Because it does make sense, I think. A lot of kids only have one very busy mom. And of course, if that's true, she's not going to have a lot of extra time to feed them properly. She's racing from work to home, maybe in a bus, maybe in her car, and she's doing the best she can. And when she gets home, she brings supper to the kids in a, a fast food bag, or maybe it's frozen. And she does that day after day and year after year. And that food is awful. And then couple that with this. Only half of America's kids attend a PE class in high school right now. And then take all of that and combine it with this next set of facts. 88% of kids aged 13 to 18 have a cell phone. 57% of kids 8 to 12 have the same. In other words, kids aren't moving and they're eating terrible food. So, ladies and gentlemen, here's my view. Our kids don't need a shot of Ozempic. A shot, by the way, that has to be taken for the rest of your life or you will gain the weight back unless you make different choices about food and exercise or both. And that's what our kids need. Our country needs to rediscover healthy living. But that will only come, at least in my view, when our country rediscovers why it is so important to have both a, a mom and a dad raising those kids. Because that's the foundational problem. It's not really crime or obesity in this case. No, no pill or powder or Ozempic shot is going to ever solve that. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.